shouldn't like floss my teeth. Don't worry. Nobody can see you. Yeah. It's radio. I can feel it. And then back (laughs) in the inside of my teeth and I want to like scratch my eyes out. Okay. Welcome back to the Bull and the Badger. Um, it's the podcast where mental... Wait, what? No, I almost had it. Asian American culture and mental health intersect. Meanwhile, I it's ran into so the mic. It's so long between recordings that like I can never really get it down. Like I just fumble every single time now. No. But I think that was not that bad. No, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. And as you're hearing, it's Vanessa. The Bull and the Badger are reunited. Reunited. <laughs> it's so good. Why Did I totally you, screw that up? Why are you so up? quiet? <laughs> oh, why didn't uh, you belt it out? Oh, um. Be proud. <laughs> I... <laughs> I basically wasn't sure of the tune and therefore didn't want to like completely. Reunited and it feels so, so good. good. Okay, thank you. Thank you for giving me the confidence <laughs> again because my heart had failed me. But now, now it's back in, in the tune of Reunited. And you are back in SoCal, um, you know, for the holidays. For the holidays, yes, yes. And we have squatted in your old apartment that you've moved out of. I know. The the suckers, the, <laughs> the suckers at College <laughs> Avenue, the college cronies, as we like to call ourselves, have allowed me to come back. Um, mostly because my mom's like, no, your mess is too much. <laughs> I was like, all right, And I, w- I have to admit, I would probably feel a little awkward with your parents there. I know. What if we needed a curse? <laughs> Right, like <laughs> not just curse. I was gonna say like talk about deep stuff, but like you're oh. just what if we had to say bad words? They talk about deep stuff, just not directly with me. Unfortunately. I know. <laughs> we have to have them like face away from us. Yeah, and, like stand in opposite corners. Maybe, maybe also wear headphones. <laughs> it's totally. This is gonna work. Silent. What is that called? Like silencing headphones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Noise canceling headphones. Yeah, yeah. My dad was asking me that today because I was trying to do work from home, and he's like. Do you want noise canceling headphones? As everybody was like, "Hey, blah, 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 blah. So, like everybody's like walking by. I was like, "No, nah, it's it's not gonna help." Because they keep going like this. And, like, I don't know. <laughs> they 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 turn towards me and I can see their lips move and I'm like, <laughs> "Acknowledge or not?" It's like a video game. It's like all these turn based choices that I have to make. <clears throat> Mostly, I'm making the ones where I'm distracted from work, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so, uh, our topic today? No, wait, our guest. Do we do guest? Wait, wait. Can wait, you? Huh, hit? Wait, huh? wait. I have. We an have idea. a spell. It. What? <laughs> <laughs> what was your idea? My idea was to introduce the guest, uh-huh. but not let her speak. Okay, let's do that. As an Asian, she must <laughs> stay silent. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. You should take a picture of that. That's exactly what's happening right now. We should, we're 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 silencing her and then we're giving her her voice. Oh man, that's, take a picture. that sounds like we have a lot of power when we don't. But then, but then you can tell your stories, right? It's true. Well, um, our guest is Danielle Kaleko. Yay! Who was like a really good Asian and brought us chocolates. <laughs> Is I your last wanna... name still Kaleiko? No, it's not. Yes, it is. Oh, it is. Oh. Cool. I'm 
married, but I didn't change my name. Oh, nice. I liked it. So yeah. I it is kept a, it. It's nice. a good name. It's a good name. I though. told my husband, you know, I want to keep my name and I'll let you keep yours. <laughs> How's that for a deal? Even Stephen. I wanted I wanted my husband to change his last name to my last nice. name. <laughs> Your last name is sick. That's I why. Know. It's the best. Um, so I had mentioned briefly and vaguely to Danielle that I had some memories and stories because Danielle is an old high school friend of ours. Boom, boom, boom. And um, I don't know why that was number ominous. one, I'll go chronologically. <laughs> <laughs> you may have heard that Vanessa and I um, in high school had many classes together. This and is true. one class in particular was biology, AP biology. Oh, Mr. Wilkes. That's right. Yep. And Vanessa sat behind me and always shared her sandwich with me that her mom made her and um, we ate it during second period that's as far as they we were got. delicious but guess who sat in front of me that was danielle whoa you remember that did you try to cheat off of her i remember she sat in her general vicinity because there was a comic there was a oh comic? my gosh you don't remember oh the it was a sperm comic was it that was the one? it was gangsta <laughs> sperm very different than yeah just sperm because we used to dress sperm and of course Vanessa had to add a little beanie <laughs> it was the bomb diggity but uh, along those lines so one of the stories was um that so Mr. Wilkes who was our professor for AP biology our teacher um he had these really like um kind of really hard tests and ridiculous this ridiculous curve that like yeah and the 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 um tests were just really hard and of course 70 percent was an a etc um but of course danielle was super duper smart and i'm sure just aced every every test there was i did not try to <laughs> cheat off of her um but i remember so for the bitterness. speaking of sperm um for the uh human reproduction test um danielle asked mr wilkes is there a co- or is there a reason why there are sixty nine questions on the human reproductive <laughs> test? <laughs> and he just kind of giggled and huh, <laughs> and walked away. <laughs> so it remains unresolved. Yeah. Dang it! I know he never answered. That's one of the great mysteries of life. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, we're gonna wonder forever. <laughs> And and now and now he doesn't he's retired is he because they made him retire because he was too hard oh can you imagine well because he was writing tests to test your ability to take a test right right it wasn't really what how well you know the material hmm what? maybe that's why I did so poorly I think I got well, a do B do you remember how he wrote those multiple choice options oh yeah A B A B C but not D. <laughs> Oh my gosh! <laughs> her AP biology existence I, is I, watching. Yeah, eyes. no, I was like, these are really rose-colored glasses because I think, like, what for me, like, the result of us all getting fives on the AP test, like, there was there was a direct correlation, right? Sorry, tangent. Did I get an A? Five? Like, if you got a B minus or higher in his class, you, you got would a f- get a five. You would get a five mm-hmm. in the AP test. If you got a C minus to um a wait i can't believe that you're yeah c (laughs) minus or you know to like a b minus you'd get a four yeah if you were getting a d in that class you were likely to get a three yeah on the ap test it was nuts yeah and then we 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 didn't talk to those people who didn't pass the ap test (laughs) they were asian exiles (laughs) 
I didn't know they existed. They got banished to F Hall. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I was just telling April, I was like, did you not talk to Danielle more because she was a sea hauler? Is that what it was? You were a sea hauler, right? I was a sea hauler. <laughs> Sorry, that's like inside Arcadia lingo. Yeah. About the area on which we sit. It None of it. Out, it was an outdoor school. Um, classrooms were organized by halls. And so during the lunch, during lunch, we'd all sit in different halls. In the tribes that we sat in. Yeah. Um, all of them happen to be nerdy, though. Oh, yeah. You were like on I the I just sat outskirts. by the lunch tables. You sat by the popular kids. Did I? Yeah, because like, like it was like Delfina and, um, God, what's her name? R8, student body president. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who's, who's, who's killing it out there? Um, anyway oh no we're not we're not we're not devolving into just like where's everybody now Where i want to hear I what's he- the correlation between the hallway that you sat in and like the success that you've reached in your adult life oh my gosh is there research <laughs> no wait so what are the other danielle stories I well this know. one is not the most direct story but it, it, i think it is kind of apropos that you're here but do you remember vanessa the summer after we graduated from high school so this is like a few months before 9-11. I only say that so that other people can orient themselves. Anyway. Because we're old. Uh The summer after we graduated from high school, I had it in my mind that I wanted to record ourselves talking about our lives. What? And so I got my parents' camcorder. And then you and I would like interview each other. And we'd interview (laughs) our friends. And then one day we went to Danielle's house, which I remember because it's the only day I'd ever been at your. It's the only time You're I'd like ever been off at your of house. Dana or something. I don't know that we'd ever interviewed no, you, but we just kind of talked, and we were just kind of you know gallivanting around town as we did back then. Do you remember that? No. And I wanted to call it "Girls in the Hood." <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because we lived on the border of Monrovia, exactly. Arcadia. <laughs> And that's the hood Sketchy. to us. Yeah. Sketchy. <laughs> Maybe we should just end the podcast here. I feel like there were a lot of like mic I feel like we've moments. come like full circle and we can just like end it. But you know what's interesting about that is that not to get like terribly meta about it, but like um, I just think it's interesting that I feel like you and I always had something to say. But we didn't know oh. or have like the medium, you know, the correct medium or like the mindset or we hadn't gotten somewhere yet where right. we could like articulate it and make it into something like coherent hmm. but i still feel like we're struggling with that <laughs> but we're getting there <laughs> you don't remember that at all no i don't yeah. where is that footage um i don't we know probably have my parents that. house we have to find that we have after this okay after this you're driving to my parents house in arcadia yeah we're in culver city no problem i'm just gonna get my transporter not a problem but i i I mean i think i specifically wanted to capture like how our life was unique in that like asian american you know whatever what i I don't remember this either guys i've been to your house (laughs) <laughs> i say menacingly maybe maybe we should was i awake this. yes <laughs> you had just woken up i saw you get out of bed <laughs> no the, the the awesome moment turns into a creepy moment it's terrible it's terrible well danielle as we mentioned we met you in high school um and then i don't know what happened to you after that you fl- flew away and you became even more amazing than you were. I just I just remember, like, because I was the kid who was like, 
I was a hall crosser. So <laughs> I was friends with all the different people in the hall. The social butterfly. That's true. I was a little bit of a social butterfly. Um, and then and then that kind of makes me flash back to the Nokia loan story. Nokia alone? Oh my gosh. I'll tell you about that later. Nokia alone? Nokia alone. Remember that I did that storytelling event? With... Mm, Family reunion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, Disoriented comedy. Anyways, so, yes. But Seahaw, did you... What, Where, you... What, what came after Seahaw, Danielle? <laughs> <laughs> Please tell us. Like, catch us up. Um, so I went to USC for my undergrad. Oh, yeah. We there's met. just a straight, like, conveyor belt from Seahaw to USC. <laughs> straight to Tommy Trojan, right, yeah. from Seahaw. Oh, there's wow. actually a warp tunnel that goes we right were... between... We we also agreed not to make fun of Trojans. Oh, when? Well, After I listened to your episode <laughs> where it was 15 minutes of Trojan bashing. Couldn't have gone. I said, Vanessa, I'll do this under one condition. We could have gone longer. By the way, I'm going to enjoy going to the Rose Bowl and playing our bowl game in your venue. <clears throat> they didn't deserve it this year. It's fine. I'll cop to that. I'll be like an Asian parent and be like, they were no good. <laughs> there's there's this Chinese phrase um, that's used. It's called like mo, mo yong or something like that. And it means good for nothing. And that's how I felt that's about the them this year. This season. Yeah. They just, they were not. Oh, man. Anyway, I whatever. We're, we're moving past it. Past my tears. <laughs> but so, so you went to. Um, so I went to USC. That other school. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Uh, continued on to pharmacy. Uh, so I got my PharmD also at USC, and as if that wasn't enough school, <laughs> I decided to do a two-year master's in health economics also at SC. So I spent a total a of weird nine pattern. years <laughs> at my alma mater. <laughs> I'm a Trojan for life. Fight on. Uh, uh, so okay, I'm trying hard to end bite of, my tongue. End of podcast. Yeah, end of podcast. <laughs> now we're just depressed. <laughs> we would um what. What would you say was most uh, formative about those years? I would say I did a lot of growing up when I was in pharmacy school. Um, you know, I did only three years of undergrad. It was an accelerated program. And so I was still in my early 20s when I started pharmacy school. And, um, you know, I took on a lot of leadership, uh, extracurriculars, mm-hmm. those type of activities. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, that was really transformative for me. You know, I went way out of my comfort zone and... Mm-hmm. Uh, met a lot of people that were different from me uh-huh. and I think that really opened up my uh, my eyes and my perspective and it's shaped you know who I am today what compelled you to go out for those kinds of activities um I uh, that's a good question I think it was kind of observing other people who eventually would become my mentors one of them being my father-in-law um you know he was president of our uh, State Pharmacists Association. Oh, wow. Um, hi, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Please listen to our podcast Okay. on the regular. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Brian Komodo. Um, yeah. And and people like him, uh, you know, just kind of motivated me to be, to be something, uh, to do something that was beyond myself, my own bubble, mm-hmm. you know, by, beyond my own definition of personal success and actually making an impact on our profession mm-hmm. you know mentoring other students uh and it's something i continue to do now cool. I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna address the gorilla in the room by the way <laughs> it's not a gorilla at all it's like a 
orangutan, which are still terrifying in their own right. <laughs> You know, a bonobo in the room? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're disgusting. My they're husband human, had like... one uh, throw a banana peel at him once. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I was afraid it was poop, but it was just a banana Orangutan? peel. Orangutan? Mm-hmm. Oh. He could have come out of his butt. <laughs> I'm just going to put it up there. That's true. I haven't I just that out. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I mean, they're, they're tricky creatures. It all, it all happened so fast. I really don't know what the source was. That's, remember Jade? I was talking to yeah. Jade about the monkey mountain. Oh yeah, that's no, right. never. I would never do that. So what I wanted to ask was, um, when did you become self-aware of like some of that Arcadia upbringing, or and I don't know exactly how your family culture fit into that, and and I don't know what you do with that. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, my parents have always instilled in all of their children a sense of. Um, well, first and foremost, they wanted us to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but also be happy and be in a position where you can be secure financially and um, and comfortable. Because uh, they they were immigrants from the Philippines and they worked hard all of their lives. Um, my dad worked up until he was forced to retire due to illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and they did all of this. They made a lot of personal sacrifices so that their children could have success of their own. Mm-hmm, right. Um, so I felt, uh, not an obligation, but, um, like, uh, honored actually to be able to take what they've given me, um, uh, take this, um, you know, privileged background that they've provided for me and and be able to do something with it that also uh helps other people beyond myself what when do you can you is there like were you ever at odds or were you like like throughout adolescence and everything um Whatever. You were just getting A's all the time. (laughs) You were fulfilling. (laughs) I mean, I remember when I was like little, not adolescent yet, but little, I was was really into reading and writing. And I remember telling my parents, I think I want to be an author. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you can't make any money. (laughs) 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 The truth hurts. J.K. Rowling hadn't come about yet. That's true. So one day my dad came to me, he's like, hey, what about pharmacy? You know, why don't you look into this? Um, And so I spoke to some family friends that were pharmacists, and one of them in particular opened my eyes to the different avenues that pharmacists could go into. And I figured, you know, I'm going to try out this pre-pharmacy thing at USC and see how it goes. If I don't like it, you know, I can always change my major. Um, But I ended up doing it and really loving it mm-hmm. uh so i um so it just worked out that way do you think like i mean like was there a moment or like can you remember the moment where you're like aware of privilege and aware of like those things or did you did you were they sorry sorry there's like 50 thoughts going on in my brain <laughs> <laughs> this is the conversation of an add person um I haven't, I haven't, I'm only self I wish I had some kind of like a uh, mechanical noisemaker, like when Vanessa's brain like can't like. <laughs> like short circuits. Like... <laughs> exactly. Um, like, like a rocket. Popping like packing bubbles, you know? Like... <laughs> we could just add that in post, dude. <laughs> it wouldn't be as cool though, or hilarious. <laughs> but, but I guess like. When I think about privilege and being aware of that and, and, and what we're given from our parents, especially if you have like immigrant parents, right? Like 
I, I don't think I grew up with necessarily the burden, but I think it wasn't until grad school where I was aware of all the privilege I was carrying around. Because for the most part, I'm thinking, oh, I'm Asian American, I'm female. But the fact that I have a college education, that I grew up in Arcadia, that I have two parents, like these things, like they advantage you in a way that other people don't have. And so it's like, well, how am I supposed to leverage those things? And even getting to that point of like leveraging it versus just like acknowledging and being grateful, I feel like there's like a couple leaps in between. So it sounds like you had that journey though while you were growing up. I mean, I had a little bit of awareness like in the college application process when you're trying to come up with like a a good essay, right? And (laughs) and the best essays are written by people who have gone through struggles and hardship. And to be honest, I didn't have any real struggles or hardships growing up. And that's real, that's incredible, Mm -hmm. you know, to to have that. Um, And then I got more acutely aware of it probably in college when I started meeting more diverse, you know, people from diverse backgrounds and people that were there, um, they they were the first in their family to go to college uh you know we weren't hanging out with with folks that had that kind of background coming from arcadia Mm. i feel like i only really felt it um really experienced the stark contrast between like my background and people who have a different you know less privileged background when like um you know, particular group of people, I'm just like, I don't get their lives. Like, why are they living it that way? Like, why mm-hmm. are they making all the wrong decisions? Of course, according to me, the wrong decisions, you know, and why is everything so difficult for them? And like, mm. I don't get it. Like, you know, make smarter decisions. And they're like, oh, that's because I come from where I come from, you know, and because my parents have given me really strong, you know, really strong um, start in life. And, surrounded by people who um you know have goals and like you know the means and the and the will to do them and you know we're all sort of like cooking in the same stew you know Mm -hmm. where we all like want to get good grades and like do well in life and all that stuff and so when I'm faced with seeing other people who it just didn't compute you know I'm like come on (laughs) you know like make better choices like oh it's because they're completely different people with a completely different background. Hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. It was hard for me to empathize with people in that situation. Uh, For me, it was when I uh, started working with my husband Mm. who comes from the Central Valley, Mm -hmm. a small town called Delano, California. And I feel, like like Stein- I feel like that's in a Steinbeck novel or something. <laughs> yeah, it could, be. it could be. It's it's one of those small farming communities. A lot of migrant farm workers from Mexico, mm-hmm. a lot of undocumented workers, um, huge high teen pregnancy rate. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, you go in there and at first you're like, I don't get it. How how are they making these decisions? And then right. when you see what their lives are like, um, then it kind of something clicks. Mm hmm. Yeah. And sadly, a lot of it time, like a lot of it really comes down to money. You know, like we make a lot of decisions based on fear. And what is one of the biggest causes of fear is not being able to survive, you know, with money. And I don't know. I think we're getting a little off track. But, a little um, bit off track. But no, but thank you. Bring for- us back, Vanessa. Oh, OK. Do Whoa. your magical transitioning. I have I have a couple <laughs> transitions. <laughs> you know, like a little Wayne's World. Um. I, I wanted to talk really quickly about the books you were kind of reading um, because, <laughs> Sorry. 
I know <laughs> this, this does not sound like we're talking about that thing at all, but I think it has to relate. It kind of relates to um, what we want to call this episode, which is uh, happily ever after question mark, um, which I do that now because of Siri. <laughs> hey, Siri, <laughs> what does happily ever? A- oh, no. <laughs> Right now it's on the Australian women voice. And I don't think it's a very good accent. That was awesome. That was that was uncalled for, Siri. Um sorry. <laughs> that was really good dirty practicing. And I think like when we think about uh you know, like different narratives that we come become attached to, like when we think about like the kind of relationships of the romances, I always think of Pride and Prejudice and Mr. Darcy and like that's 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 kind of something that you you look for in your life, right? Like you're Mr. Darcy. And I'm wondering what kind of books were you reading and you wanted to kind of that were subconsciously I don't know, like does, does that question make sense? Because I didn't even finish the end of that. Are you guys talking about books before? Like books that would shape your perception of what a romantic Oh, because you wanted to be not an just, author? Is or, that why? Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. She was thinking about being an author. But okay. not not just romantic relationships, but how you thought your life would go. Um, I don't remember what books I was reading at that age. It was a very, um, you know, early stage for me. It was, I mean, I remember in fifth grade, um... The Hatchet. I don't know if you guys were. Oh yeah, Gary Paulson. Yeah, for some reason that book really stuck with me. Right. I actually keep a a a, a not a not a switchblade. <laughs> not a switchblade, but like a. Oh, also uh, reading the Outsiders. Right. I keep a hatchet with me. Yeah. I keep a Swiss Army knife. Yeah. So it's like it's like what if what if my plane crashes? Like, did you also read On the Other Side of the Mountain? No. Oh man, yeah. There's a lot of survival books in my in my history. So so you don't remember anything in particular? No, not not like yeah, not in particular. It was just that I loved um reading and and um and I I I thought I was a good writer at the time until I started reading my own stuff later and I was like, no, it's a good thing I don't do this for a living because I would starve. No, I feel like you were like pretty good all around. Like this is these are outside Thanks. observations. <laughs> By the way, when we're standing outside your window <laughs> with the camcorder, apparently somebody's gonna come after us, dude. Like there's some kind of so illegal, illegal things. Yeah, jeez, man. It's like the more you talk about something, the creeper you sound. Right? You're like, well, now I gotta stop talking about that thing. Um, but the other thing I wanted to mention was in high school. I don't know if you guys remember this, but there's this like enter- like this Women's Day where like for for a day we went around and we we met different women in history going through different things. And there was I do not remember this. There I was, don't either. There was this woman. I, huh? I I think it was I th- I think I was in Mr. Ali's class or something like that. I, it was like a it was it was through science and history and it was like um. Um, like a teaming up and it was like really early on in high school and like you would and maybe it was middle school because basically there was a woman who talked to us about like what it meant to be termed hysterical back then and then also you know like a woman um you know like a woman going through her period and then there was a woman who talked about postpartum depression and Mm. then i was like you know like i just was like 
okay, like going through the day, like make sure you do all the academic things to like get the A. But then, you know, like in hearing people talk about postpartum depression, I was like, hey, I remember that time they were trying to educate us about that in high school. And I just, I just went like this (laughs) because it just didn't feel relevant. It just, there was no bearing on my life at Mm -hmm. that time because it just, I was like, I'm going to go to college. Well, I, this is what I'm gonna I do. have to say as like someone who has done some reading on like depression and mental health, mm-hmm. I am also very still very in the dark about postpartum depression. I probably only heard one anecdote about it, oh. not about the person I was speaking to, but like someone she knew oh. and it wasn't even really that detailed. But I just remember, I mean, this was maybe like within the last year or two. And I remember thinking that sounds really bad and. I can see that happening when I have a kid. I think there's something that's extra taboo about postpartum depression, yeah. even more so than general, you know, mood disorders, general depression. And that's because there's a child involved. Right. And that may, because it's so taboo, people are so afraid to talk about it. Mm. And that's why you don't hear about it that much. Um, but I, mean, I think the statistic is something around 30% of wow. uh, women who have given birth have some signs or symptoms of postpartum depression 30 percent, and it's and that's probably underreported because people don't talk about it they are afraid to seek help uh, because they don't want to be outed as that woman Mm. that unnatural woman that you know uh, has those thoughts uh, after giving birth so that's what we're talking about today guys yeah happily ever after question mark hey siri (laughs) <laughs> we all look at Vanessa's phone. Yep. She's gone silent. <laughs> no, she, she, uh, We've silenced her. Yeah. <laughs> silent Siri. <laughs> yeah, let's back up a little bit because um, I don't want to jump too far ahead and I, I want to... You know, you you're married. I um, am. And how long have you been married? Uh, six years now. Oh, okay, great. And then and then was uh, you know, the pregnancy plan? Is that a weird it, question? It, I don't know where to go from there. It's, it's totally okay to ask me that. Okay. <laughs> so you then, have my permission to ask. Yes, yes. it was planned. <laughs> okay. It was planned. It was planned. Okay, and then because um, you decided like. It was like maybe three or four years into yeah. your... Yeah, we waited a few years. We decided, um, you know, we wanted to enjoy some time as a couple, do some traveling, you know, all of that stuff, have some freedom before taking the plunge. Mm-hmm. You know, we knew we were planning to have children or a child at least, and mm-hmm. um, uh, but we wanted to wait. So, uh, so it was... So we ended up having our kid five years, about five years into the marriage. Very cool. Um... Was it, was it like, what was, what was the process leading up to it? Was it, was it an easy pregnancy? Or? Oh, no. <laughs> I had a really difficult pregnancy. Um, I mean, the decision to have a child at that time, uh, some of it had to do with the fact that my dad was sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my dad was diagnosed with ALS, mm-hmm. uh, Lou Gehrig's disease, mm-hmm. um, in 2012, I believe. And he was getting progressively worse over the course of those couple of years. So it was somewhere around 20... Uh, 14, early 2014, that my husband and I decided, you know what, I think it's, uh, we had some kind of revelations that life is 
it's too short. Right. Uh, this is something that we wanted, we've been wanting to do and intending to do. And at the same time, we had, we had had our time as a couple to do a lot of um, adventures and traveling together. So we felt that for us, the time was right. Um, and unfortunately, my dad actually passed away November of 2014, which ended up being two months before the birth of my daughter. Mm. Uh, so I think that's actually what uh, uh, the main contributing factor probably to the, the fact that I had developed postpartum depression after the birth of my child. Okay. So what, just to sort of start from the beginning or very basic, um, what is postpartum depression? Um, so, uh, and I'm asking you cause you're a scientist, yeah. <laughs> and, a scientist. I, and I am, I am a scientist. I'm a pharmacist. I'm not a mental health specialist. Right. Um, but, but it is a, a mood disorder that happens, you know, after childbirth at, at its most basic level. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the symptoms can, can, uh, manifest themselves in different ways. I think for different women, um, for me personally, um, I think it, it became clear to me when I started feeling these feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. Mm. Um, and it was, uh, it was a struggle for me to distinguish what was normal quote unquote and what was not. Um, I, I think I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what is, what is just exhaustion, uh, versus actual postpartum depression or something that's like in the realm of quote abnormal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think being on the other side of it now, I realize that it's more of kind of a spectrum, mm-hmm. um, rather than a, a black and white. Right. Yes, you have it or, or no, you don't. Right. Um, you know, uh, but I was, I, I felt like I was imprisoned in my own body. Mm-hmm. Um, I, it was a struggle for me to get out of bed, to brush my teeth, to wash my face, to do all of these normal activities of daily living. It was, it took every ounce of my energy to be able to do that mm-hmm. on top of feeding my child, mm-hmm. changing her diaper, you know, pumping uh, my breast milk because I had such limited breast milk supply. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a constant cycle for me and I felt like I was being trapped in that cycle. Mm-hmm. How, how, how were you relating to your husband around this time? Um, he was not really understanding what I was going through, but at the same time, he was extremely supportive of me. Mm-hmm. I don't think he knew exactly what to do, but he knew that he was, um, he was going to stand by me and not um, not blame me, I -hmm. guess, for having what seemed to me like irrational feelings. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm here with this really great life. You know, we're in a great position. I have a wonderful supportive husband, um, you know, beautiful child. Why would I be feeling this way? Um, but he, um, he said, you know, just, he, he just stood by me. He did everything he could to take over a lot of the childcare responsibilities. You know, Mm -hmm. he would feed her and, um, uh, you know, let me sleep in when I could, Mm -hmm. uh, as much as I could, um, to the extent that I could, although it was difficult, you know, having these symptoms, even when I was trying to sleep, I couldn't, I had really Mm -hmm. bad insomnia. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's pretty common, uh, for people going through grief. So I think, you know, sort of my postpartum symptoms were getting confounded with my grief over uh, the passing of my dad. Right. What were the, 
feelings like right before the birth was there like high energy and anticipation or were you already in a place of like mourning um i was so that's like a really good question so um i was not so when people lose somebody they love some people like will process it in a in a good way like you know in a they'll they'll journal or they'll talk to a therapist or they'll you know express their feelings to loved ones for me I pretty much ran in the opposite direction from my feelings it and it wasn't like an intentional um decision on my part it was more like my dad died and then all of a sudden my mom and I had to plan his funeral and then um actually my grandma went to the hospital um not even a month after that she had fractured her vertebrae and then it was Christmas. And then, um, oh, oh, by the way, my child's going to be born in right. like a couple of weeks. So it was just like a, a, a whirlwind, I think, one mm-hmm. thing after another. Um, and meanwhile, I'm hearing things like, oh, you've got to be strong for the baby. This is mm-hmm. These are the things that you hear, you know, as a woman. Uh, yeah, never mind that all of these terrible things are happening. You've got to be strong for the baby. Right. Uh, don't, you know. So... Um, so I, I, it was more like, you know, just, just push on, move forward, keep, what's the next thing? And then actually after uh, my, my daughter was born, three weeks later, I had a massive postpartum hemorrhage and had to go back to the hospital. So I, I had to get a blood transfusion. Yeah, thank wow. goodness. Well, I, you're here. Yeah, so. I'm here. So I, I <laughs> you know, the medical interventions all, you know, that, was, that all went fine. Um, and then one week later, I went right back to work. Oh my God. That was, yeah, that. A little bit strenuous. W- wouldn't recommend that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> by choice. Like you. <laughs> if you're listening, don't do what I did. <laughs> yeah, that was by choice. Um, and I was really, like, despite my symptoms, I was really high functioning at the time. I was mm. one of those people, like, I launched a wellness program for our employees. I, you know, started a research study and got it, um, you know, IRB approved and. Um, What's IRB? I, uh, oh, it's the ethics review to make sure they, oh. they review your study protocol, make sure everything is on the up and up before you start a study. But basically, I launched a research study and I did all of these things all while I was um, suicidal, actually. You know, I was having these um, the, while well, I was depressed. Um, but and, and nobody knew I was depressed because I didn't talk about it yeah. and I didn't, quote, look depressed. I was like I would put my makeup on every day. I would do my hair. I would, you know, get dressed. And all of that was a, a big struggle for me. But I did. I forced myself to do it because I was afraid that if I didn't, I would stay in bed and I wouldn't get out. Oh, wow. So when all this was happening, I guess you. Were, were you trying to speak to anybody about this or what you're feeling? So I think the turning point for me was when I started having thoughts of um, what if I jumped off a building mm-hmm. and I never actually formulated a plan, mm-hmm. um, you know, like which building, where would I go? When would I do it? How would I do it? Um, but it was when I had that thought. And then also there was a time when I was alone with the baby and she wouldn't stop crying. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was in the kitchen. I took a plastic Tupperware. It was like full of, I don't know, candy or something. And I just threw it on the ground and it shattered into a bunch of pieces. And Mm -hmm. I was like, stop crying. Mm -hmm. I screamed, stop crying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew then I was at my breaking point. Uh Um, I was 
I, I, I knew if I was going to continue down this road, it's not going to lead to a good place. Mm-hmm. So I called up the social worker at the hospital where I delivered the baby. And I said, I think I'm having postpartum depression. So she, you know, we, she and I sat down and had a one-on-one chat. And um, after telling her everything I had gone through, including, you know, the death of my dad just a couple months before, she was like, and, you know, the, the hemorrhage, the yeah, readmission to the hospital, mm-hmm. going right back to work, all of that. She's like, dude, you have not even stopped to grieve the mm-hmm. loss of your dad. Mm-hmm. Do you even realize this? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, you know what? You're right. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't even take that time to mourn my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really important, you know, when you lose somebody that close to you is mm-hmm. you have to find a way to process that, mm-hmm. um, you know, not run away from it, not try and suppress it and uh, power through it. Right. <laughs> you know, right. uh, it doesn't work that way. Right. What were the um, recommendations of, of the social worker? So she, um, because, you know, so much of it she felt was attributed to my grief, she referred me into a grief support group at the hospital mm-hmm. uh, that met once a week. Uh, so so I met with this group of women, mostly widows mm-hmm. uh, who had lost their husbands. Um, and it was a really it was a, a really great and supportive group of women who were all going through the loss of somebody that was really close to them. Mm-hmm. Um and the social worker who led this group uh, herself had gone through recent loss of one of her parents as well. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it was a way to relate to other people that were going through the same thing. And, and also sort of give you a space apart from taking care of your newborn. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. My husband, again, you know, going back to his how he uh, supported me through this time, you know, he would come home from work early so that he could take over the, the child care and I could go to, you know, meet with this group of women because uh, it was important for me. Um, so he he just did whatever he could so that I could have that, um, you know, that time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we, so we met for, I, I met with them for several months until I got to a point where I felt like, you know what, I really love this group of women, but I really want to be home with my baby now. And I feel <laughs> like I'm, I'm ready to do that now. Yeah. Was that... Was that like a a turning point in terms of the depression or were you, do you feel like you're done grieving or? Um, I think I'm, I feel like in some ways I'm still grieving Mm -hmm. and it's been two years already, but, um, but, but, uh, I think the, the, maybe the acuity of the loss was, uh, I was starting to, to move on from that. Um, I mean, you never really quote, get over the loss of a loved one, you'll always have that void there. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there comes a point when you begin to realize the imprint that they've left on your life and how they, they stick with you, uh, even after they're, they're no longer in your life the way that you're used to having them in your life. Um, and I think when you reach that point, uh, you can begin to heal a little bit. Uh, and I think that's when I, I had reached that point. Um, and then also a lot of it had to do with uh, my child's sleeping patterns. You know, this around, you know, three, four months or so after she was born, she was starting to sleep a little bit more. Oh. And so I was starting to sleep a little <laughs> bit more. So I think like the sleep, the exhaustion uh, for a lot of women that have given birth, like that, that's a huge factor in, you know, 
feeling that you're losing your mind, right? How did you even know to call the social worker and say this is postpartum? Um, I, I was flipping through the packet that I got from the hospital after I got I gave birth, and they had all these resources, and one of them was uh, a support group for new mothers. Mm-hmm. And so I called that. I called that number. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like. I need support. I don't know. I didn't know what <laughs> I needed. General I d- support. Yeah. And I didn't want to call my OBGYN because I I had lost tr- faith or trust in him, I guess, because when I had had my postpartum hemorrhage, I had gone to him with symptoms before I had to go to the hospital. And oh. it was like he didn't believe the severity of my symptoms. Oh. Um, and so I didn't have... Yeah, I was like, if you don't believe me that I'm like bleeding to death, why would I talk to you about right. my depression? So I was trying to look for other... Um, avenues to go to mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of an important thing for people to know is they um, you know if you, you there's always your doctor if you can't feel like you can't go to your doctor look at what resources are available at your local hospital um, there's always the national suicide prevention hotline as well um, and I don't have that number off the top of my head but maybe we can we can probably post it in post the it later episode. yeah yes. definitely yeah um yeah, so there's, um, you know, there's your primary care doctor, if you have one, um, you can always go to them and get referred in to somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with the, the kind of severity of what you were feeling, I think. Yeah, yeah. was around you during that time because I remember seeing your post yeah yeah it just felt like an outpouring of different people my mother my mother-in-law they they came over they stayed with me during those intense you know uh that intense first month when you have no idea what you're doing Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so I, I felt so lucky that I had both of our moms close by that could come and stay with us they actually they took over a lot of the night feedings for me which is like it's unheard of for grandparents because grandparents are supposed to just have fun with right. the baby and then when they start acting up you give it back to the parents and all of that um but I think they could probably sense that something I was not okay mm-hmm. and we didn't talk we didn't ever talk about it explicitly because um it's we don't talk about that in my family mm-hmm. um we don't talk about mental health in my family it's just not a topic that we discuss but I think but the way I think you know that they express their love is through action and they just volunteered to do whatever they could, uh, whatever we needed, what, whatever I needed um, in order for, to help. And so it helped a lot to just get a few extra hours of sleep here and there. Uh, you know, that made all the difference. Um, I started going back to church also. Um, I was raised Catholic. And there was a period of time, I think, after college when I kind of drifted away because I didn't really have like a core community church where I felt like, you know, I really uh, fit in with that community or had, you know, a group of friends there or anything like that. So I, I sought out the the local Catholic church, you know, in our neighborhood. Um, and I found, you know, a great um, uh, small group, you know, that they that we would meet with and ended up, you know, becoming good friends with these folks. And, uh, you know, I would talk to them a little bit about what I was going through, too. Uh, so they've been a, a, a good source of support as well. And um, her daycare teachers. So I mentioned that I went back to work 
almost immediately right. um, after I gave birth. So, so she started at daycare at se- seven weeks old. Wow. Um, and so the fact that I could drop her off to these women that I trusted, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were very nurturing, um, extremely attentive, and they would communicate with me anytime something was uh, seemed, you know, a little unusual about her or um, they, they were a little bit worried about something, they would immediately communicate with me. They would call me. Um, so I felt confident and uh, that I could drop her off um, and not feel guilty about it and be able to focus on, on working during the day so that when I could pick her up at the end of the day, I could truly enjoy that time with her and not feel like my attention is always divided. Right. Um, so I'm really, really grateful, and I continue to be grateful to her daycare teachers that um, they're just awesome, awesome people. Where, where's a daycare that like takes care of infants? It's awesome. Um, so uh, Tutor Time in Stevenson Ranch. They're they're a chain. Tutor Time. Oh, um, okay. It's part of the Learning Care Group. So they go, they go under different names in different cities. But yeah, in uh, in the city we live in, it's called Tutor Time, and they'll take them from, I think six weeks is the youngest. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, and and they're open for long hours, which is good for those of us that are working a lot. Oh yeah. So going back to sort of what you were experiencing during your postpartum depression, um, you kind of mentioned earlier, like the image that is projected about, you know, about motherhood mm-hmm. and, and how that doesn't, or for in your case, and in a lot of people's cases, that just doesn't really relate to reality. Like what were your thoughts about that? Like when you were up to giving birth and when yeah. you gave birth? Well, you mentioned the image of motherhood and I literally had images of these perfect women surrounding me in the hospital where I gave birth. <laughs> these perfect photoshopped um, photos of these women cradling um, peaceful, content babies that were perfectly latched onto their breasts you know these women in full hair and makeup um wait it's not always like that (laughs) (laughs) they don't they don't show you how exhausted uh you know the exhaustion the um the frustration when the baby won't latch um you know the baby's screaming and with their frustration and the mother you know i was like crying Mm -hmm. um with my frustration that um i didn't have adequate milk supply um, to keep up with her demand, you know, they don't show you the, the, all of that, you know, that aspect of it. People don't, don't tell you about that. You don't know to expect that, that that's actually a pretty common occurrence. You know, the more of my friends that I talk to that have had children, the more common, I, it, it seems like it's more the rule than the exception that they have difficulty some, if it's not difficulty with breastfeeding, it's mm-hmm. something else with the baby. You know, maybe they're constantly crying and they, they can't figure it out. You know, why is my baby always crying? Or, uh, you know, later on, um, why why won't they sleep? You know, I tried ed- everything. So there's always something that, that you're going to be um, struggling with, especially in those first few months. But people really don't talk about it. They talk about motherhood like you just instinctively and naturally are going to know what to do. Um, and you don't, you, you figure out a lot of this stuff along the way, but it's all, it's all trial and error. And some people try to like arm themselves with knowledge by reading all of these books by quote unquote experts. Mm -hmm. But the only expert on your own baby is going to be you Mm -hmm. because every baby is different. Mm -hmm. And you know what today's expert says, 
20 years from now, our kids are going to be looking at that and laughing right. and saying, what, what were they thinking? <laughs> Do- yeah, my sister, I remember, sorry. No, no, I remember my, oh, my sister had her first baby uh, less than two years ago, and she had a really long um, maternity leave. And when she returned to her job, like six months later, she said that it was like such a relief because she went to work. She knew what to do. They told her what to do. Exactly. She finished and she went home, you yes. know? And she's yes. like, she's like, when you have a baby, you have no idea what's going on. It can't tell you what it wants. <laughs> like, and you, you just try everything to have, get the baby to stop crying. Yes. And it's like a total mystery. And there's, it's frustrating. Yeah. There's no more surefire way to feel like a failure than to have a child. <laughs> 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 that one's for the books. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's you. You hit the nail on the head, April. Um, you know, I'm used to being a um, uh, a person who sets goals for myself in my career, and there's certain metrics that I can meet, certain milestones that I can achieve, mm-hmm. and then there's ways to measure my quote success at work, right? And um, and a lot of that is not all of it is predictable but a lot of it is but yeah once you have a child uh it all goes out the window (laughs) you don't know what the fuck you're doing (laughs) sorry can i say that yes (laughs) i encourage it uh so much confusion i'm curious too um when you were i guess in addition to uh having a child like when you went, started going to the group therapy sessions and things like that, did you go in with goals or were you just like, I'm just going to show up? I, I went in just, sh- let me show up and see what this is about. I wasn't, I was open to, uh, you know, exploring what, what, what might come of it and, and also open to walking away if it didn't end up being for me. Um, the one thing I did know is that I needed to do something. So if it wasn't going to be this, you know, I was going to look up, like maybe a therapist that I could talk to one-on-one if that's what I needed. Um, I didn't end up doing that um, because I, uh, for me, the group sessions uh, were, were good to kind of get different people's perspectives and, and to feel like I was relating to other people's experiences, um, hearing that, you know, other people, like I wasn't alone, I guess, in, in what I was experiencing. And this was the, the um, grieving Yeah, this group. was the grief support group, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you feel um, comfortable? Were you able to share your experiences with the group? So, um, well, uh, in the grief support group, I pretty much kept it on the topic of grieving over my dad. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, I I, um, I didn't go quite into so much detail over, you know, the postpartum aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, these Most of these were women in their at least 70s mm-hmm. 80s you know mm-hmm. um and i wasn't sure if they could relate to me on that level or mm-hmm. or kind of remember mm-hmm. maybe what that experience was about mm-hmm. um it was more like i guess in my one-on-one conversations with friends um uh where they started when when i would share what i was going through they started opening up about their own experiences mm-hmm. um post childbirth and that's when i started to realize like how how common it was to have some level of not being okay after mm-hmm. having a child, whatever mm-hmm. you want to call that. Right, right. Was that very um, freeing? Was it very like... Yeah, it was. It was very freeing. Um, 
I felt so alone in those first several months. Even though I had my husband by my side, I had both of our mothers there who had also given birth themselves, um, I still felt like I was isolated on some level. Um, I felt like I couldn't freely and totally talk about my feelings with them because, uh, well, like I said earlier, we don't we don't really talk about mental health, and I didn't. Um, it's just not not a topic that we go to in our family. So it was it felt. I felt freer talking to people outside of my family actually about it and learning that uh, I wasn't it, I wasn't alone. I wasn't unique. You know, mm -hmm. this wasn't a unique experience. So that was um, that was comforting to me. Mm -hmm. One thing I, I I get questions from people are like, how do I help someone who's depressed? And I'm curious, like for when you were in those conversations with your friends like did you initiate the conversation did they initiate the conversation like what what was that like um a lot of times it would be you know a friend who had recently given birth and they would be asking me for general advice you know the advice it usually starts out with questions on like very like sort of tactical tips like oh you know my baby is really picky about breast versus bottle and you know what do I do to get him to be more uh, flexible in that or you know those type of tips and then it and then sometimes the conversation will turn to you know um, uh, sometimes I, I get these feelings or thoughts you know um, and I well I I think it when it when it goes that direction is usually me sharing more of my experience like you know I wasn't really feeling all that well like how are you, how are you doing uh -huh. um, and then that's kind of, you know, that, that will kind of open up the conversation a little bit from there. That's really cool. Cause I think I, I, I feel like I have a lot of well-intentioned friends that sometimes they just don't, they don't know to ask or they don't know, well, like how to bring it up. Yeah. 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 Cause I, I think like that's one of those barriers where it's like, wait, so should we, you know, like yeah. how do you want to be cared for? I think is, is one, one way to put it. Like yeah. people just don't really kind of understand and I, I'm curious um so do you do that more regularly now just like reach out um, yeah yeah I do it and like and I try not to be too invasive about it just more general like how how are you how's how's it going you know mm -hmm. how are you doing um and if I get a sense that 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 things aren't you know going so well then I'll I'll start by opening up more about you know my experience and then you know if I find if I share my experience first and it, it kind of opens the door for for the other person to share a little bit more too kind of creating those spaces yeah yeah well, it opens a little bit of a window i guess well and what's interesting to me is that you 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 come from a family that doesn't really speak about mental health at all so like i'm i'm wondering if like you kind of had to like make up your own language around these things or it was just helpful to be part of the group or kind of like to get those tools does that make mm -hmm. sense like kind of like how like how did I become or <laughs> I don't really understand more open I think more open yeah and also more equipped like increase because yeah doesn't it... I think it was yeah <laughs> I'm like, looking like at like April how? so that she can like translate in her eyes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> always my half formed questions help help well um I know, like, for me, when, um, you know, the way that, just like Danielle said, like, to sort of open up a line of communication is to, you know, just show that you're in, 
you're vulnerable too, you know, and in speaking about your own vulnerability, then the other person feels safe and less judged to talk Mm -hmm. about their own vulnerability. So I think, I think that when you're able to be vulnerable yourself and not feel like things are going to fall apart and that someone's going to be judging you, you Mm -hmm. know, left and right, when you're, when you're secure in yourself and your vulnerability, then, then you can open up the door for someone else too. Very cool. I, um, next question for Danielle. Uh, did you ever experience depression or any mood, um, disorders before, before you experienced the postpartum depression? Um, so I never like major depressive episodes, but I do remember having like tinges of what I think may have been depression when I was an adolescent. So a little bit of it in middle school and moments in high school where I had those feelings of hopelessness. Mm. And it would, to me, it was totally irrational. I was like, I have a great life, you know, my whole life ahead of me. Mm -hmm. This makes no sense. I was kind of, you know, (laughs) that, 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 um, that voice in my head was like, what, what are you thinking? Why would you feel this way? It makes Mm -hmm. no, no logical sense, you know, but if you think about it, you wouldn't say that to somebody with diabetes. Like, oh, you got diagnosed with diabetes? Walk it off. <laughs> Snap out of it, man. You know, you'd be like, no, go see a doctor. Mm-hmm. You know, you probably need medication. You need mm-hmm. to make some adjustments to your lifestyle. You see a professional. Uh, but I don't know what it is about mental health where we feel like we can just snap out of it or reason our way out of it. It's funny when you, you mentioned like... Um sort of looking back and like recognizing these like moments of like oh that might have been something because I I have this moment in my head that often pops up in my head almost because it was so um there's nothing particularly drastic about it but it's just something that I remember very clearly and it was our senior I think it was our senior year of high school Mm -hmm. um and I remember everything was great I think we'd all been accepted into colleges and all that stuff And then I think something happened that kind of tipped me off. But I remember coming home and then just going to my room and lying down and just like, just kind of like, like, I don't know what it is, but I just, this is all I can do right now. And I think that you, Vanessa, sensed it because you and Nini came over like unannounced because we would do that back then <laughs> <laughs> like we're here we just drove up in our cars because we could drive now like you guys just came over and then we sat in my parents dining room and we like totally laughed it up and like made each other laugh but i feel like you guys had like sensed or at least seen something that i didn't know i was projecting you know wow and like you guys came kudos to my yeah Aww. but i remember that it's feeling cool. of like just going into my room and then like falling into bed you know and i don't know why or what but yeah i think all it's... these memories that you guys don't remember <laughs> i know. keep her memories you have a really good memory April. <laughs> I, yeah i just remember gangster sperm like, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it everything i did well i remember really sharply um which is why I can't tell you anything about that actual day when we're interviewing these women from different <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Man, it's almost like it was a dream now. But um, yeah, I think those, those, those kinds of feelings and those things are so inexplicable. And I'm trying, even in myself now, to kind of go like, hey, don't dismiss this. Like, look at it. You know, don't talk yourself out of a feeling. Like, 
like you can shelve it, but make sure to take it back down off the shelf for later yeah, examination. Yeah. Um, two questions. Two questions for Danielle. Um, <laughs> she likes to ask questions. Sometimes I do this. Sometimes I like raise my hand, even though yes, the other... Vanessa in the, ba- in the back over there. <laughs> Hi, big big time fan. First time question. Um, that was close, Vanessa. Long time listener. First time. I was like, eh. we're working this out. Um, did you did you take medication um, while you were uh, going through the depression? And then I don't remember my second question. Uh, so no, I actually did not take medication myself. Um, it 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 seemed to my personal symptoms seemed to resolve themselves um, after doing you know this group therapy. Uh, but but um, the, when I talk to other women who have gone through similar things, a lot of them have um, reported a lot of success by going on antidepressants. Um, so they see an actual uh, psychiatrist that can prescribe medications or even, you know, their general uh, uh, primary care doctor can also prescribe those medications for them if they feel that it's necessary. Um, and, and, and they feel that that um, helps to balance the chemistry um, uh, in, in their brains that, uh, helps them to just function better. And that was for me. I mean, I was, I was functioning okay, but I, inside I was not okay. Right. Um, and do you now want to see a therapist or like continue on that kind of road where you're checking in with somebody outside of your own brain and your family? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, yeah, actually I've, I have that kind of in the back of my head because I, even though the most intense period of that is, is over for me, I know that I'm not quite out of the woods yet. Mm. Um, you know, uh, um, I still get moments where I feel, um, some, some hints of what I used to feel. Uh, and so I, I, um, I, I have in the back of my head to look up, you know, a therapist that I can go to for more one-on-one therapy. And I think um, that's something I have in my back pocket uh, to, to make sure, like you say, I'm checking in and not trying to to uh, tough it out, so to speak. Right. Were, are you scared of that? I had I had my therapist ask me, are you scared of being scared depressed? Scared of what? Of therapy? Your therapist oh, asked scared of you being that? Depressed. Yeah. If, are you scared of being depressed? I was um, like, oh. That's a thinker. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm not. I don't. I am not scared of being depressed, but I am scared of um, what could happen if my depression goes unchecked and untreated, uh, just knowing the path that I was starting to go down uh, during that time in my life. So um, I think that's why I'm trying to arm myself with um, you know, resources that I can turn to uh, should I find myself going in that direction again. And... and- do you feel also more open and able to just talk about it with other people too? Yeah, definitely. Um, it was freeing for me when I um, started sharing with other people, first on a one-on-one basis with close friends. And then, you know, I, I posted on Facebook about my experience and there was this outpouring of sharing of other, you know, other women who have gone through similar things. So I think that really freed me up to feel like I can talk about this more openly and publicly. Hmm. Um, I don't don't I don't really make a habit of posting a lot of personal stuff on the internet, 
Um, but I thought this, mm-hmm. this was a topic that deserved attention. And just in case there was somebody else out there that might be going through something similar, I wanted them to feel like it was okay to talk about. And it's not only okay, it's essential for us to be talking about this. Um, because postpartum depression is, uh, it's real and it's serious and it's very, it's more common than we think. 30% and underreported, right? So that's kind of nuts. Um, I like reading about that kind of, not specifically postpartum depression, but (laughs) I like to read about parenting difficulties on Facebook Mm -hmm. and I'm a total like creeper, like... (laughs) Uh, as, I, as obviously, I have, nothing, I have nothing to contribute, <laughs> but I just like to read what people say. And like, uh, I read one recently about like um, a woman who had like the worst morning trying to get her two kids to school, you know. And it was just just the horribleness uh, that the parents have to routine. deal with before getting to work, you <laughs> yes. know. It's just like, oh god, that's awful. It, like the tantrums and mm-hmm. and all that stuff. And and then I read like the comments how people are like, oh, well, my morning was like this, or this was my worst morning. And I'm like, this is real. This is real. <laughs> yeah, it's refreshing when people keep it real. Yeah. Uh, in social media and in in real life, you know, when they when they're talking about what their lives are actually like, not right. not their engineered or imagined lives, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah. People aren't always perfectly quaffed. <laughs> Except for me. children perfectly dressed. Except for yes. me. We, yes. we can't all be, we can't all be gangster like Vanessa. Gangster for life. Gangster for life. Just not <clears throat> sperm. So anyways, um, <laughs> I wish I hadn't said that. I was like, don't do it, don't do it. I wish I had that Photoshop. Oh my gosh. I kind of... I should have kept it. I was thinking about it. I like. I was like going through my room, and I was like, "Should I keep this?" And I was like, "No, that was you another." You threw time. it away. I probably threw it away. <gasps> if no! I destroyed gangster sperm, oh, did we lose the? Because they yelled. Too yeah, it was her grief was too much. <laughs> Speaking of grief, actually, I wanted to ask, go back a little bit to your family, because I feel like you took very specific steps to figure out how to grieve. And I'm wondering, yeah, about your family's process. And Yeah, yeah, it um, it was a very whirlwind period of time for all of us. Um, although, OK, so my dad was sick for a couple of years, so we we all knew it was inevitable and it was coming. Um, but when he actually died that period of time, it was like right before Thanksgiving and it was such a hectic time for all of us. I remember the day that he died, um, you know, the funeral home whisked his body away and then we were just in a frenzy cleaning up the house. It was like, we were just completely focused on cleaning out all the medical supplies and all the medicines and then it was okay we got to plan the funeral now let's pick a date let's find out what food we're gonna serve it was like just kind of like it became like a to-do list of things to do and and I think part of that may be like us um processing it like okay um we we didn't really take time to like talk about how we felt um and it's not something we were used to talking about as a family you know we don't talk about 
difficult feelings with each other. Uh, we were always, you know, kind of expected to be happy and content at m most times. So we didn't talk about like sad feelings. Mm. Um, and I don't know that that's really specific to our family. Uh, I think it's pretty common, you know, in, in, in our society is we don't really know what to do with grief mm -hmm. and we don't know what to do with people who are grieving. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed a lot of friends that I considered close friends at the time uh, suddenly disappeared uh, or, or, you know, like went MIA. And, and uh, at the time it was confusing to me, but now that... Um, it's been a little bit of time. I realize it's a lot of people are afraid of saying the wrong things to somebody who's grieving. They're so scared they're going to like offend you or mm -hmm. whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, when really all, all they need to say is this hurts a lot and it's going to hurt for a long time. And I'm, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. That's uh -huh. all you need to say. You don't need to say that it's going to be okay or at least they're in a better place now. Uh, Those are things that are not very helpful in general to people who are grieving. Yeah. It's not helpful to be like, well, look at it, look on the bright side. Yeah, or exactly. Look at the bright side. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, wow. But R yeah. Write it down, Vanessa. <laughs> write it down, write what she said. Write it down. I know, seriously. I was like, that's another one for the books in like the opposite oh. direction. Because I think, yeah, I, you know, even though, you know, I've lost people or I've had depression before. Like there's still a sense of like, uh, what should I, uh, you know, and you're, you're locked into paralysis and, yeah. and, and, and you forget presence is very important. Yeah. Right? Like you, I think we're, we're so uncomfortable with sadness and with grief that we want it. We just want it to go away, right. you know, just, just sweep it under the rug and put a bright spin on it. Mm -hmm. Um, when really you need to allow the person, you need to allow yourself to process and to feel that grief. Um, and it's going to be very painful for a long time, but, but it, but acknowledging that pain and allowing it to be there and sitting with it, I think that's really important. Do you, do you feel like you do a lot of emotional work for your family too? Like as somebody who's gotten, I mean, you're still processing obviously, but then you've done very conscious processing like mm -hmm. have you sat with any of your family members to kind of like help them no again we don't talk about this with each other <laughs> so that's the funny thing is like we've all kind of processed the grief individually in our own ways um so the truth is that i haven't really like other than the period immediately following dad's death when we sat you know we we got together for like dinner and we would talk about memories of him and that kind of thing. But talking about the grief itself, um, you know, I've, I have sat with my mom when she's, you know, really hurting and she's saying, I'm missing him. And I say, you know what, I miss him too. And we'll like cry together. Um, so in, in that sense, you know, I've tried to be there for her, but I don't, I don't open up that, that, that window. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think it would be really hard because it's like, that's not even within your family language, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I also find that, I mean, uh, like, with my grandpa, when he passed, like, like I kind of wanted us to not forget, you know? So mm -hmm. I want us to keep talking about it, but I don't know how to be the one to be like, well, let's remember something about grandpa during his birthday, you know? Oh, like, yeah. it's very private, like, yeah. my grandma 
goes to the gravesite and my like some you know the kids the kids will go and those are like all our parents and aunts mm-hmm. and uncles but it's like we're very the grandkids are very separate but i feel like i don't want to selfishly you'd say like oh well it's our grief too but you know like i want to be like it's a Included. family family grief you know yeah. it's a family yeah. family i have no actual noun <laughs> to go after that it's a shared shared experience yeah you share you share their grief yeah yeah but um i don't I'm, yeah i mean my, my, <laughs> you just remind me of one other thing is like my husband and i host thanksgiving and so you know when we're saying the blessing for thanksgiving i always um mention that we're thinking about dad you know we miss dad and um and that's just you know kind of a opportunity that we take to to reflect for a little bit especially because his death was like so close to thanksgiving mm-hmm. no that's really cool i feel like it in order for something to happen i would have to actually initiate something you know nobody's yeah, gonna be yeah. like hey vanessa do you want to talk about you know your your gong gong you know like it's gonna be like it's gonna be me doing that and and part of that is tough because you you're just the next generation and you're not always sure like oh we have to take up the mantle or something like that um but i'm curious uh are you hoping to have another child no <laughs> yeah, for me, unequivocally, no. <laughs> um, yeah, for many reasons. Like, you know, a lot of it is what I went through with the first one. And also the statistics show that if you've had one postpartum hemorrhage, that your risk of having oh. another one uh, increases with subsequent births. Uh-huh. So I really don't want to go through that um, or take that risk that it's going to happen again. Um, the depression was debilitating. Um, and also I'm honestly, I'm really content with one child. Uh, there it's another kind of like weird thing or weird expectation, I guess, in society that you have to, so for some reason you have to have two children and like one and a half dogs or something. <laughs> uh, that's the formula for happiness. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a, a stigma around only children. Oh, they're selfish. They're entitled. They're spoiled. They don't know how to share. Um, but I don't really buy into that I think it's how you raise them mm-hmm. um and uh you know she she is she all day long she's surrounded by other children she's she has to follow rules and uh, restrictions and her dad and I are really strict with her <laughs> in many ways um so yeah yeah no more children for me but you know um I'm glad you asked that question because a lot of people now that Audrey's of of a certain age you know she's almost two and this is like the time to be <laughs> thinking about having your second child so everybody asks so when's the next one coming uh-huh. along so it's all it's all uh, oftentimes an assumption mm. kind of like if you get married right mm-hmm. so when are you going to have a child right. the assumption is that you're going to have a child right? right um yeah but but for me no <laughs> yeah just one that's awesome i mean like um do you do you see parts of yourself in her already? I do. Yeah, she's very strong-willed, <laughs> uh, very focused. Like when she's on a task, if she's, you know, um, trying to unscrew the cap off of her mini mouse cup, she's just <laughs> completely and totally focused on that one task. And I can see, you know, that's that's a lot of me in her. 
um, uh, you know, having that kind of focus and uh, determination, if you will. Um, and, uh, and she just physically looks a lot like me. People look at her and they go, oh my gosh, it's your clone. <laughs> she's like your mini me. You mean because she's my baby and she has my jeans? Like, that's correct. I tell people I just butted her off of my, my shoulder <laughs> through asexual reproduction. Her father had nothing to do with it. <laughs> That's an AP bio. Exactly. <laughs> I was thinking spontaneous generation. Oh, like the starfish when you chop off their arms. Does it make a new starfish? Yeah. Like a whole new starfish? Yeah, the fragment will make a new starfish. <gasps> That's disgusting. I thought it just like grows a new one. but You don't remember that from the AP bio book? I only got, well, I got a five. <laughs> let's, let's go there but first. you were one of the but 70% you, but you didn't fives. <laughs> You didn't have to know about the starfish to get that five. I know. I uh, I was I was I was very focused that was on essay sperm. question. That's so it was draw a picture of what happens with yeah. the starfish. I failed that one. Um, what do you? What would you want to tell your daughter about her grandpa? And then also, what do you? Would you talk to her about this time that you experienced in the initial? Yeah. 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 Um, so about her grandpa, I, I take a lot of time, a lot of opportunities with her to show her, uh, her grandpa's picture. So we have a picture of him sitting in our living room and I tell her, you know, this is your Lolo. That's the, uh, Filipino word for grandpa. And, um, you know, this is a picture of him at mommy's wedding, mommy and daddy's wedding. It was a very happy day. And, uh, you know, I tell her simple things about him. And that he was really like looking forward to meeting her. He was sad that he didn't get to, um, but he's still with us in some way. So, so I've started introducing, you know, him uh, to her in that way. And she recognizes him from pictures, and she goes yo yo, and she points at him. Uh, so she knows who he is. <laughs> um, but yeah, as she gets older, I I uh, plan to share, you know, some stories about his life and um, how he was so always so pragmatic and and mm. very blunt very plain <laughs> very plain spoken yeah. um you know and uh he never minced words but he you would always know what he was thinking um he was always very honest in that way so things like that i would definitely want to share with her uh he had an addiction to fox news <laughs> oh, <no>. The O'Reilly factor. <laughs> no. I might, I might save that for when she's a little bit older, <laughs> when it can be a little more nuanced. You know? yeah. Um, Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that was inexplicable to me. He, he was otherwise a very rational person. <laughs> your second question I forgot <laughs> oh w would you tell her about the postpartum depression oh yes yes definitely um yeah because we don't um because we have not uh been a family of talking about feelings you know growing up I think it's important for her to be able to to, to know what I went through um not to scare her away if she chooses to have a child one day herself I don't want to scare her but I do want her to know that this is something that I went through and it's something that's totally treatable. Mm -hmm. That's the good news about all of this, right? Is that mm -hmm. depression, um, any like really mental health disorder there is, it's treatable if you seek help and, um, 
and you don't try and and suppress it or 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 walk it off you know um so that's the good news about it and i think it's important for her to know about it and in more general terms too i think it's important for her to know how to process her feelings so as a toddler you know we're getting into the tantrum stage um and so when she's feeling mad i i quote daniel tiger you, you guys don't have kids, but <laughs> Daniel Tiger is a cartoon spinoff of Mr. Rogers. And so oh. there's this song that goes, when you feel so I, mad sorry. that you want to roar, take a deep breath and count to four. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, it's allowing yourself to feel the anger when you're angry or to feel the sadness when you're sad and acknowledge it because it's there. It's a real feeling. Don't try and, you know, pretend it's not there. But then you got to process it in a socially acceptable manner. You know, we don't throw ourselves on the ground and kick and scream. We don't, you know, we don't, uh, we don't kick mommy and daddy. <laughs> That's not acceptable. So it's, you know, um, all feelings are okay, but it's the way that you uh, respond to those feelings that, that we try and, you know. Can you talk me through my feelings too? <laughs> I think this this Daniel Tiger song is gonna really help. You should look into this Daniel Tiger. He's a wise guy. He's uh he's only in preschool, but he knows so much. Oh, man. Isn't there that book like everything I learned about life I learned in kindergarten or preschool? What? Yeah, that's the thing about like when you have such a young child and you're trying to explain complicated concepts to them, is it really forces you to get down to the core of 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 what uh what's important really you know i was trying to explain because it's christmas season now i was trying to explain like jesus to her and um you know the best way i could well i i made the mistake of trying to show her this um you know that doc not documentary um that drama series the bible oh yeah which is a really well done right but yeah, yeah, totally yeah. not appropriate for <laughs> a two-year-old i mean <laughs> I forgot how much violence there was oh, in yeah. biblical times. Oh, there was. The Old Testament was not playing around. <laughs> so, so she's seeing people, you know, <laughs> massacring each other on TV. And I was like, oh, I got to fast forward to this. But, I, but I'm explaining to her. I'm like, see, these people are fighting. Jesus came into the world and he taught us we don't fight. Don't fight anymore. Just love each other. That's what he came to do. That's what he came to to teach us is just love. So now, you know, when she starts like her tantrums and I say, we do not kick each other. We do not hit each other. She goes, no fighting. Jesus said, just love. (laughs) That's so cute. (laughs) So it's like kind of just breaking it down to the simplest elements. Um, And it's, it's been a learning process and it's taught me a lot you know having to explain things to a toddler oh my gosh you realize you know nothing yeah exactly it's the most humbling experience really it shows you you know how how little you really know absolutely um i had a fun question a fun one but do we have to ask in a circle no Do you? <laughs> if you want actually, to. we could. Yeah, this could be my Christmas gift to you, Vanessa. <laughs> yes. <laughs> one question to well, be answered in a circle. Usually, if it's a, it's a, if it's a circle question, I want it to be like really <laughs> serious, though. Oh, really? So this one's just this one. This one's for Danielle. Okay. Actually, you can answer this one too. I don't feel like answering it. But like, oh. are you? <laughs> You're gonna. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not. I. Cause, cause I'm kind of scroogey about this. But um, somebody asked me like, are you gonna tell your kids about Santa? 
Are you going to let them believe in Santa? I was like, nah. <laughs> nah. 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 And my sister got mad at me. She's like, She's like don't Mommy just <laughs> <exists>. nah. Yeah. <laughs> I heard about Santa. Nah. 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 Uh-uh. Nah. Uh-uh. <laughs> but you, you've, you've also introduced the idea of Santa to Audrey. I have. Yeah. It's been... Um... It's been interesting. I mean, there's no way I can hide Santa from her because she has grandparents. <laughs> and Santa comes to her school. He's in the mall. He's everywhere. So I feel like there's no way to like insulate her from that. So I might as well just embrace the culture and let her be a part of it and participate. So so this year, um, Santa brought her a stocking full of oranges because that, that's literally her favorite thing in the world is oranges she got so her grandparents her uncles bought her all these toys all these books but the favorite thing she got the one gift she remembers is the freaking oranges <laughs> are they cuties or actually i bought those stupid whole foods ones that are so hard to peel i told kevin like, the, like the oranges from our childhood yeah yeah like the real no i mean we had to work they're clementines they're clementines oh, they, they came in like that five pound box they look real they look like the cuties yeah but i started peeling them i'm like god dang it <laughs> kevin these are so hard to peel he goes they need more gmos <laughs> It's not quite Christmas without a GMO. <laughs> um, what about you? Are you gonna if you have kids? Like, oh yeah. Do you want to tell them about Santa? And, of like, course. I mean, not only as Danielle said, is it hard to? Would it be hard to keep it away from them? But my husband is like two hundred percent. Like he's made of Christmas. <laughs> like that's his like DNA. Or in Zootopia, his Dunna. <laughs> have you guys seen Dunna? Dunna? Yes. <laughs> Madonna. <laughs> That's amazing. He's made of Christmas, so yes, that will be part of our. If we choose to have a family, that will be part of it. I'm uh, nah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my not go around in a circle. <laughs> I think you did a great job, Danielle. Thank you, guys. I hope Thanks that you for feel me. you feel like you said everything that you wanted yeah, to say. Any, and yeah, is um, there any depth we haven't plumbed? I mean, there was things that we were talking about before, but I don't know how much it applies to what we were talking about. No, I think we've I think we've pretty much covered it. Yeah. Well, Siri, Siri's telling us that we're done. Siri's so like, <laughs> "You're done." All right. Well, please stay for more ribs. Yes, I will. And thank you so much for coming all the way down from Valencia. I know. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Bye.